Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. You know, a lot of people think when you come to God, He's got something behind His back, right? And He's going to clobber you over the head. Instead, we come to Him dirty and in the mud. That was good, dark, muddy water, wasn't it? Those two kids are having the time of their life, making their own decisions, right? Maybe, maybe you've fallen in the mud by yourself, but oftentimes we find someone else to go with us, to coerce us to get into the mud of life. And we see God as someone who's going to just beat us up, and rather he has his grace hose to clean us up. Why? Because Jesus Christ. Because His Son is being applied to our lives and the righteousness of Christ when we believe and the righteousness of the cross where Jesus sheds His blood for us. You know, there's something that is called by psychologists habituation. You ever heard that word? We know habitual, but habituation. And here's what they say. When you have something around you so often, you can habituate into the fact that it almost isn't there. Like if you get a brand new watch and you wear that watch for the first few days, especially the first day, you feel that watch all day long, don't you? And eventually it's like, well, I've had that same watch now for six months or a year. And you put it on and it's almost like it's non-existent. You've ever moved locations from house to house, place to place, apartment to apartment. There's the minute you walk in, you have this list of to-dos, right? I'm gonna do, I'm gonna paint that wall. We need an accent wall over there. Oh, I need a throw rug over here. I need some shelves right over here. I need, I need, you know. And we make that list, and maybe we do part of the list, we don't get to the rest of the list, and pretty soon we habituate to the things that we didn't get to. It's okay. It's like a squeaky door. It's been squeaking so long. You have a guest come over, they go, man, you got a bad squeak. What? What? Oh, yeah, we used to hear it, but do you get it? Well, that little light on the dash, it's been saying check engine for so long now, we don't even see it anymore. There's always one gauge, however, that we pay attention to. It's either E or F, right? That's the one that we pay attention to. But the rest of them, it's okay. Change oil, check engine. No, it's all right. We'll just, you know. Uh, I have friends that are mechanics. They ask me to say that. Come by and see them if you have a check engine light on, right? But we can habituate to things where the grace of God. Well, yeah, I remember when I first met Jesus and I first asked for forgiveness of sins and I felt like a weight was lifted off of me. And then some bad stuff happened, and some darkness entered my life. Then I made a bad decision. I made a bad choice. I paid a price for it. They said that they would promote me, and they didn't. They, they said they wanted me, and they shut down the department. They, they said they would use... Uh, they said, they said, and pretty soon our capacity to pay attention to God, like a brand new watch on our wrist habituated away from us. 
hey, my prayer for you is that you would know the grace of God afresh every day. My prayer for this community is that more and more people would find that God can wash the mud off their lives and the mud off their minds. My prayer for our country, dear Jesus, help us, that people would not be so arrogant or abusive or critical or cynical, but we would all say, God, we need grace to help us in our time of need. That's what the Lord does for us. Now, here's a great promise. We've been talking about the promises of God that build up our hope. And here's the promise that I'd like to give you today. It's Isaiah 43, 2, and it says, let's read it. When you go through difficulty and darkness, I will go with you. But see, here's our promise. Our promise is, let's read it. I will respond to increasing darkness with increasing faith. Don't add to the cynicism. Don't add to the sarcasm. Don't add to the critical nature of people around us, but rather we respond to increasing darkness with increasing faith. Increasing darkness, what are we going to do? Respond with increasing faith. Why? Because we're people that have been touched by the grace of God. The grace of God. Now, if we started in the Bible, we, we said, okay, we're going to have a little Bible drill. Where do we first discover grace in the Bible? Does anybody know? Well, last service, somebody said it's, it's in Psalms. First time we encounter grace. Somebody else said, oh, it's in the writing of Paul. You know, he writes a lot about grace. Grace is greater than all of us. Where do you think you would find grace first in the Bible? Anybody know? Genesis. Who said Genesis? Wow. Bible scholars abound here. Yeah, the sixth chapter of Genesis. And here's what it says. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Noah. We really don't. I mean, he's the ark builder, right? The animals came on by twosies, twosies, elephants and kangaroosies, children of the Lord, rise and shine. Anybody remember that old song? Yeah, good. Four of us. Yeah. But Noah found grace. There was something about Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If we back up to verse 5, Genesis 6, verse 5, here's what we find. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Bad synopsis of the human race? Yeah. We are six chapters into the Bible. Scholars say seven generations in those six chapters. And God had made man, and the Bible tells us that when he made the heavens, and he made the earth, and he made the whales, and he made the sparrow and the snowy plover, and the tiger salamander, he said, this is good. The Hebrew word is tov, T-O-V, tov. And when he made mankind, he said, tov, tov, double good. Two scoops of goodness. 
I've made humankind after my likeness, with my creative goodness, and with my character, I've made the human beings. In Genesis 1.27, we find these words, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Adam's name is synonymous with humanity in the Hebrew. Uh, the word Adam is of blood, that the same blood that would course through his veins is the same kind of blood that courses through your veins, and that would actually run through the veins of Jesus Christ, that while he's being crucified on the cross, that same kind of plasma that's in your veins was in his veins. The human race, Adam of blood, humanity. And the word Eve literally means, the name Eve literally means life. I have given life to humanity. I have put blood in their veins. And I have said to them, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Would they trust God? You see, God said to them, let me paraphrase, I'm the one who has a knowledge of what is good and what is evil. I'm the one that gets to determine what is good, what is right, and what is wrong. I am the one that gets to call the shots on the knowledge of what people are supposed to do with their lives. But in Genesis 3, it tells us in verse 1, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God, and this is important, did God really, really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, here's Adam and Eve. They are, like my good neighbors from the south used to say, they are naked. They are naked. And they're not ashamed. Why? Because there's no shame. Adam and Eve are walking around the garden with no shoes on because there's no thorns. They're walking around not concerned about what anyone would think because there's only two of them. And they're in love. Guys, I, I, every time I talk about this, I don't know why I repeat this, but they were in the garden of paradise. There were no weeds. There were no thorns. Gardening was easy. The water was fresh, and his wife was naked. Now, I'm just leaving it there. And the serpent comes up, and he doesn't tempt Eve with anything other than one word, doubt. By the way, you should write this down in your memory bank. When the devil tempts us, one of his greatest temptations, his MO is this, he gets us to doubt. Did, did God say that he's the only one that should have the knowledge of good and evil? Is he the only one? Will you trust him with that position and place to have the knowledge of good and evil? Or will you come against that? Doubt. And they seize the opportunity to take it upon themselves to decide what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. And can I tell you today as a pastor and as a chaplain, you know what I realize? There are people today trying to rewrite God's law. Life doesn't matter. 
We talked about it last week, that all life matters, the unborn and the elderly. Every color of every skin, every person of every tribe, every human being on this planet, everyone matters to God. God loves them with an everlasting love and a, and a grace. We can't rewrite the law. Somebody says, well, you got to understand there's situational ethics. Situational ethics will get you in a bad situation. We go where? To the Word of God. Somebody one time told me, I think the Word of God is just a hamper to my life. It, it just, it's just horrible to live under the law of God. I said, what don't you like about thou shalt not lie? Ever have somebody tell you a lie? They go, oh yeah, do you like it? No, I don't like it. That's why God said you shouldn't do it. What don't you like about somebody saying, thou shalt not kill or bear false witness against your neighbor or commit adultery? How has that worked for people? Has it worked well for people? Somebody said, oh no, man. I was with her and her husband came home. It didn't go well for me. Yeah, well, what's so bad? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to be able to say in your marriage that you're going to be faithful to each other? That's what God says. How about this? Thou shalt not steal. You like people taking the FedEx packages off your porch? It's happening all over our town, Mission Hills, Mess Oaks, Vanderbilt Village, Lompoc, North, South, East, and West. People finding things in the back of a contractor's truck. Guy left his saw in there. He went into 7-Eleven, grabbed himself a Slurpee. He'd been working all day. He needed a little pick-me-up, a little sugar. Came out, his circular worm drive saw was stolen. That's part of his livelihood. He makes his living. He pays his taxes because he's able to use his tool. Somebody drove by on a bicycle and said, I like that. Thou shalt not steal. Do you think it mattered to that gentleman? Absolutely. See, God's laws don't hamper us. They actually free us. They give us hope and health and happiness. But if you want to decide what the law of good and evil is, if you want to take that upon yourself, I will bank this for you. It will not go well. That's what we call sin. Humanity has been horrible at defining what is good and what is evil since Genesis chapter 3. And we see between Genesis 3 and Genesis 11 the downward spiral of what happens when the seeds of doubt enter into our life. And you remember Cain and Abel, right? Right? Uh, the firstborn killed the secondborn. And by the time we read chapter 6, we have children of darkness and hard hearts. And we come to Genesis 6, 5 to 7, and the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted. The holy, pure, eternal God regrets that he ever made human beings. I don't want to be a human being that he regrets. I don't want to live in such a way that he regrets having saved me or given me life. And he said this, I, I can't imagine what heaven was going through in this moment. They saw the genius of the creator. They saw all that he did with the universe. And now he says, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created. And with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. No one grieved the fall. No one grieved the loss of the original intention. And as I said earlier, we don't know a lot about 
Noah, but I would like to infer, if I can, that Noah somehow wanted what God had intended. Noah somehow longed for a relationship with God, that he would be Noah's God, and Noah would be part of the people of God that would follow him. And there was something in Noah's heart that caught God's eye and moved his heart. Genesis 6, 8 again, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Hey, can I just tell you, you've been waiting feverishly to write with your pens. I know. Help us. Help us. Get to the first fill-in, please. God provides grace in our darkness. <laughs> we don't know the steps Noah took to crave grace, but we know that God saw a need for grace in Noah's life. I want to give you a promise from God today. It's a Hebrews 4, 16, and it's a good one, and you should get it down. Let's read it together with our best 10 o'clock on the nose voice. Here we are. Let us then approach God's throne for with confidence so that we may, what? Receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's read it again. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us then approach. Let us then, why then? Because earlier he says Jesus Christ is our high priest who can be touched with our infirmities. He empathizes, not just sympathy, but empathy. He steps into our place and into our space, and he feels our very pain. And notice what the writer says, the throne of, of grace, God with the water hose, not the kabonker. Is that a word, kabonker? All right. Not with the club. Let us approach God's throne, not in fear, but in reverence, not being consumed that God would somehow consume us, but that we would find grace, receive mercy, and find grace in our time of need. God provides grace in our time of darkness, and that gives us hope. We need to trust in the promises of God. This seems simple. But when darkness veils its lovely face, you know, when, when darkness presses in, when hope seems to be gone, we need to come and press in and trust in the promises of God. Why? Because number two, God established a covenant with us. Now, you know what covenants are, right? Covenants are not contracts. A contract oftentimes has a loophole in it, especially of late I mean, I talked to somebody recently who went into a business deal, and, and they said, man, this thing is like, you could drive a Mack truck through this contract if you got an attorney with half a brain, right? They could, they could appeal this, and I could get out of this contract. But a covenant cannot be broken. See, marriage is a covenant, not a contract. The contract is not, if the food isn't good enough, I can leave you. If the leaven's not hot enough, I can leave you. Come on. I'll stop there. Huh? Wasn't that a song called Good Loving Gone Bad? Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, uh, that's the next slide. But listen, a covenant cannot be broken. Really, literally, when we come to marry, two people come to marry, we say things like this, I will, I do, I shall, till death do his part. Covenant. It's holy. 
Now, I know Scripture talks about ways that you can get out of marriage. I, okay, okay. And I'm not going to preach a side sermon on, on, on divorce. Some of you have been there, and God bless you with that. Thank God that you're under grace. Come on. Amen. We're under grace. It's quiet in here now. Okay, I'll move on. <laughs> Whenever I talk about marriage, it gets quiet. One guy said one time, I said, why? How come everybody's so quiet when we talk about marriage? He goes, because my wife is sitting next to me. I'm afraid to make any kind of response. I said, why? Because he said, happy wife, happy life. And if I do the wrong thing, it may not be happy at my house. I said, oh, okay, great. So you need more grace, grace. But here's what God says. I will establish, Genesis 6, 18, my covenant with, with you. In other words, I can't break this. You will enter the ark and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you, and I am going to bless you in such a way, I am going to save you from the destruction, the flood. And Noah builds an ark. It had never rained before. What a man of obedience. And as he gets everybody in there, right, the stinky ark. Come on, animals. I don't know how he got the giraffes in there. I don't know. But he did it. And then it says, Genesis 7, 16, I love this. The Lord closed the door behind them. He deadbolted that thing in. He put a security system on it. And he said, you guys are going to be safe from the rain 40 days and 40 nights. And some eight months, they were on that boat. And then it comes to dry ground. The rainbow appeared. Remember that? Right? The rainbow. Not the Skittles rainbow. The rainbow the promise of God was, I'll never flood the earth again. I think about the ark, and I've studied it in great length in the past. I just want to give you one little key from that story. Now, you have to remember, this is Noah in the ark, and he's building the boat based on God's specifications with the woods and the supplies that God said to build with. And he told him, when you put the boards together, put some tar in there, the word Pitch is the word that's used. And then take some good heavy tar, some good sealant, and smear it on the insides of the boat. And guess what's going to happen? If there's any nooks and crannies between the boards, the water can't penetrate because the pitch is there. That's called engineering. Oh, why, by the way, you'll like this. The word pitch in the Hebrew is the word atonement. Ah. Hey, what will keep the judgment away from us? It's that we're in the ark, and Jesus is a type of the ark. We climb into the ark of safety because we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We confess our sins. We receive him. We step into the ark of safety, and God poof, shuts the door behind us. That's why the Bible says no one can snatch us from his hand. We're safe in the salvation of the Lord. Woo! If I was a preacher, woo! You know what I mean? But see, some of us have forgotten how great it is because we've worn the watch so long, we don't feel it anymore. Every once in a while, I got to like, Bernie, Bernie. Yes? Are you listening, Bernie? Yes, I am. I talk to myself. You do too. You just don't admit it. And I say, Bernie, what do you have to complain about, whine about, groan about, moan about. The God of the universe has saved your soul. All the wrong you've ever done, all the mud you've ever put on yourself or anyone else, 
God's come with his hose of grace and he's cleaned you up and you're secure in the ark. And someday you're going to stand before God and the devil and hell are going to hurl insults at you like floodwaters. And what's going to keep the wages of sin, which is called death, away from you? The atonement. <laughs> the finished work of the cross between the boards. And as the waters of judgment rise, guess what? You're going to be safe and secure in the ark of Jesus. That's grace that gives us hope in the middle of darkness. God promises a certain deliverance. Moses, don't worry. I'll be with you just as I was with Joshua. Noah, don't worry. I'm going to give you deliverance. Abraham, don't worry. You're the father of faith. And for people like Moses and people like Noah and people like Abraham, the Lord looked forward to the cross of Jesus and applied it to their life going back. That's why I could say in the scriptures that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Christ hadn't even died yet, but the death of Christ is so powerful, it could go back to Moses, Noah, Rahab, Esther, and Abraham and save their souls. Looking back, it's so powerful, this cross, this, this ark place, that even the thief on the cross, while he's dying with Jesus, the Lord is not even fully dead yet and says, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. That's the power of the cross. When we think about the ark, we have to think of, of Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. See, it's not the standard that men and women set. You got to get this clear. Because sometimes people say, well, I, I'm living based on what my teacher said or professor said or my uncle said or my auntie said. She's been married nine times and she told me that it's okay. And my friend's a drug addict and he said this must be right. And, and someone else uh, steals circular saws out of trucks and he said it's okay. And someone else is a gangbanger. He's a homie. No, he's a knucklehead. That's what I call them. That's as bad as I get in my language. Listen, who do we believe? Who do we listen to? We listen to the Word of God. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Yeah, but just do this. Try that. Just go here. Just let's say, hey, let's just go there. After all, you deserve the... No. No. Listen, what people really deserve? Zero. You know what God says we deserve? His grace, his grace that's greater than all of our sins, and yet his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Anybody glad? Come on. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's how we're made right with God. It's grace. People have told us to be forever, behave, be good, belong. But Jesus just says one word, believe, believe. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and he did not punish those who sinned in past times for he was looking 
future. He was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes, come on, you can read it, sinners right in his sight when they, when they believe. No, you got to be good. No, you can't be good enough. So we believe. We're good because we believe. We do work because we are saved. And here's what I know about the times that we live in. Number three, we have to focus on God's promises and receive God's grace. Just focus on his promise. If you focus on the headlines, I promise you, you'll get discouraged. I was getting all kinds of news feeds coming in. In the morning, I get up early and I'm, oh, wow, here's, oh, wow, wow, here's Twitter, here's Facebook, here's CNN, here's Lompoc Record, here's New York Times, here's the New York Post. Oh, my God. 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 Oh. Before I was out of bed, I was angry. I was consumed with the news of the day. And then I heard a whisper. You haven't even got to my headlines yet. I thought, you're right, Lord. I better stop. I started reading the Psalms. Woo, this is good. The Lord is with me. This is good. God is for me, not against me. This is good. And while I pray for our country, I pray for my community, I pray for my leaders, I have to pray for myself too, don't you? God, keep my heart right. I'm praying for all of them, but I got to pray for myself that I would be gracious to those around me today, that I would focus on the promises of God and receive your grace. 2 Peter 1.4, this has been our verse throughout this series so far. I want to read it with you. Would you read it with me? Let's go. God made great and marvelous promises so that his nature would become part of us. Then we could escape our evil desires and the corrupt, oh yeah, corrupt influences of this world. And here's what we've said each week, that through the promises of God, we see the heart of God and his nature becomes part of us. That's what Peter said. The more we know about the promises of God, the more his nature becomes a part of us. And by seeing the heart of God, we have hope. Now, many Christians have an easier time being saved by grace than living by grace. Let me say it again, okay? This is Rick Warren said this, so if you don't like it, uh, it's his fault, okay? Many Christians have an easier time being saved by grace than they do by living by grace. But grace is the center of the life that God calls us to and reflects the heart of the one who calls us. When we're gracious, when we're kind and we don't feel like it, <laughs> when we're supportive of someone and boy, we've, we're tired, we can't support ourselves sometimes, but when we press in, we recognize that God's grace is great. Romans 5.20 says, but where sin abounds... Grace does much more abound. There's a promise for somebody. But the world is dark. My neighborhood's dark. People are mean. People, whoop, whoop, whoop. Where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. I'm going to read it to you from a different version. And where sin is powerful, God's kindness was even more powerful. So I have a story that was told by a pastor who heard it from a friend, who heard it from a friend, who heard it from a friend, who saw it on Facebook. So it must be true. I looked it up on Snoops. I looked it up on, you know, truth, false, whatever. I couldn't find the story, uh, but it's got to be true. A gentleman was in the commissary. He'd gone there with 
a need for two items. Coffee, Folgers, the richest kind, and wheat bread. And he went up to the checker and he had his Folgers can and his wheat bread. And the lady behind him had two shopping carts full, overflowing. There was food, there was household items, there was a few blouses, a couple dresses, a scarf, toaster. I mean, it was all, it was two carts full. She was pulling them to the, to the checker. And the checker said, sir, today, would you like to play our lucky shopper game? He's like, sure. So she reached into this big can. I mean, it was big, deep. And she said, there are numbers in this can. You pull one out. If you pull out the winning number, your purchase will be free. He looked down at his two items. He looked back at the cart, a lady he'd never met before. And, well, maybe, well, I never win anything. No, nah, I don't want to play. Oh, sir, reach in. Well, he reaches in. There's thousands of little slips. He reaches in and pulls out the number, hands it to the checker. She opens her drawer and she says, sir, you've won. Your purchase is free. And he looked at his coffee and bread. And then he looked at the lady next to him and said, honey, honey, come here. <laughs> and so she comes over and puts her arm around him. Honey, we won! We, we won! We won! She says, yes, baby, we won. And so the whole thing was free. So as they're walking out, you know, the, the store's taking pictures and everything else, right? Evidence. And they're walking out. So she reaches over and gives him a little kiss on the cheek, you know, to, to work it up. And he goes out there and puts items in her car. And uh, then he gets in his car they waved goodbye, and they both went home and had a story to tell. I hope he went and told his wife. <laughs> I'm sure she may have asked, how long was the kiss on the cheek for, you know? And I'm sure she told her husband about this man who stepped forward. Now, I know it's a silly story, and it may be true, and it may not be true. But there we were one day with two shopping carts full of disobedience and sin with mud on our bodies. And someone we had never met before, a stranger, stepped forward. His name is Jesus. And he said, hey, hey, I can pay for all that if you let me. If you confess your sin, if you believe in me, if you allow me to purchase that for you, if you allow my grace to come quickly into your life. There's two things I know. Some of you are here today or watching online, and you need the grace of God to forgive you. You've yet to say yes to Jesus. I mean, all these sermons and illustrations and preachers that you've heard and friends that are praying for you, it's a holy setup that you would give your life to Christ today. It's true. You need Him. Without Him, a flood's coming. It's called the judgment. And you have no boat. You're kind of like one of those cardboard regattas. I've seen them. Build a boat in a pool and get it across the water and you win a prize. And usually the boat absorbs, the cardboard absorbs the water and the boat goes down. If not immediately, eventually. Whatever we're building is like a cardboard boat. But when we're in the ark of Jesus and his atonement, the sacrifice of Christ has been applied for us, guess what happens? We can be safe and secure because we're in the ark of salvation. 
The second thing I want to say, there's some of you here, you've been around grace so long and you've heard the gospel message so long that it's like a watch. You don't feel it anymore. I want to encourage you to press in every morning to his grace, to remind yourself of the reasons you have to thank God, the covenant that he's made with you, that you have found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but is always present in the ways we most require. God, I want you to do this. No, I'm going to do this. Because he has the knowledge of good and evil. He has the knowledge of what's best for your life. And you say, God, I want to see you this way. He says, nope, I'm going to be over here, guarding you here, keeping you safe over here. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.